It struck me, I never thought about this, we're singing the first verse, you know that I've presented at least two sides of, of, uh, of thought about, about uh, the rapture and the second coming. And that first verse, no matter which side you're on, unless I didn't hear it right, so I could be wrong because I just thought of this as we were singing it, contradicts both of them. <laughs> Because it says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. So there's the end of time. So if you believe the rapture comes before the tribulation, that's, that's not true. And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. So that would be after everything, right? But then it says, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And No, that wasn't it. Um, yeah, it was the second verse. On that bright and cloudless morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise... And the glory of his resurrection share when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies. What's going to happen after the rapture, after the second coming total? Coming back here. So the first verse is like I think the second verse is before because you're going on to heaven once you meet him. So you see, sometimes song and songwriters write it in a way that it'll, it'll make sense with uh, syllables and sounds, and they forget to really check the theology with somebody. So I just want to point that out. Sometimes we're singing a hymn, and we may not actually agree with it. It sounds good. I get the point. I'm happy. I love singing that song. I'm not against it. I'll sing it again because it's fun. Um, but I remember um, when I started studying this and coming to these ideas when I was about 19, and my sister always sang solos in church, and she was supposed to sing The King is Coming. Go back and review those. And she called me, she said, this doesn't agree with how I think. Because, um, thank you. Thank you for warning me that I was in trouble. I appreciate that. Um, how does the song start? It pulled me off. Um, yeah, um, The King is Coming. The king, uh, you know, the king is coming. Yeah. Yeah, the streets are empty. Everybody's gone. And then it's the king is coming. And so my sister called and she went, I got to change the words because this doesn't make sense. It's the end of everything. And it was supposed to be about the rapture. The king is coming. And so she did. She just changed the words. I said, no, just sing it like that because that's right. She's like, no, I'm going to change the words. So she did. That was fine. But it just... I love music, I love songs, I care more about what they say than how they sound, but I really love how they sound, so I can, you can ruin some good words with bad music, and you can ruin some, and you can make some bad words acceptable with good music, and uh, so I think you ought to always be discerning, because what is a song? It is a prayer set to music, a desire, a prayer, a petition, so with that, I just, I don't want to ruin your day, but it just, it hit me while we are singing, I'm going, Wait a minute, they're saying two different things in one and two there. So uh, just to point that out, help make you more aware as you sing and go forward in life. I'm glad to see you all tonight. You, you warmed my heart because you come back. Um, I never feel uh, fully prepared. I got bogged down in a lot of stuff in chapter 14 the last time. And uh, I want to try not to get bogged down, but actually look at some of these things. And we, we uh, and I, I I don't remember exactly where I stopped. I put a card in my book, um, but I'm going to back up to um, verse 8 in chapter 14. Actually, verse, yeah, verse 8. Um, so let me pray before we begin because I need that. But Father, uh, we do thank you so much that uh, you are present with us. You never leave us. You're the ever-present God. You, are all, you always are the I am. Wherever we go, there you are. We cannot escape your presence. And so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing, uh, we, we'll lose nothing because all the things that count for anything, you are keeping uh, for yourself against that day. And we just thank you for that as well. And so, Lord, uh, tonight as we look into the revelation that you gave uh, to the Apostle John that, that we could... Uh, understand some things, uh, especially as they're happening, and uh, we, we, we feel like we're getting to know more and more and more as time goes on, and, and uh, we see how the world is starting to line up. So uh, just help us tonight uh, not to put our um, 
May we not distort what you said with what we think, but may we be able to distinguish between those two things and begin to look at it and, and, and try to understand it. Give us grace. May the, this book encourage us uh, because in the end you win no matter what happens to us in this life. And uh, for that we are grateful and glad in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Um, and, you know, if you have a thought about something, that's fine. But always do research. You know, chase that down. Look, look at things. See what other people say. Um, because it is, it is good to have questions about Scripture. Um, I am um, married to a wonderful woman. and She loves to study the Bible as well. And she loves to ask questions. And so she'll say, what are you preaching on this Sunday? Which, of course, now I'm going through a book. She knows where I'm going. And uh, so then she'll uh, sometimes ask me, well, well, what does this mean? And, and she'll, there's, there's something there. I'm telling you, you got to look at it. I said, I did look at it. This is what it means. It's, you know. And then sometimes she'll say that, and I'll go, I didn't notice that. I never even saw that. So, uh, you know, different people see different things when they're looking at it, and that's why we get together, because then God helps us round out our understanding. But, but even if I'm backing up, because I, I felt like I kind of made a mess of it. I was, I was all over the board, and, man, I l- heard more things this week and in, in looking at things. But anyway, another angel, uh, at the, I hope I'm looking at verse 8, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, uh, nope, that is not what I was looking for. I was looking, I was looking, yeah, verse 8, I was in verse 9. Sorry, my eyes, I should just pick the book up, that would help, instead of trying to bend over. Let me just do that. Um, the question is going to be, what is Babylon? I know we did talk about that a little bit last week, but let me Let's just look at that again. Another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So, um, we, we discussed that a little bit last week. Uh, you tell me, what, what is Babylon? Um, I was listening to more about that this week and just want to kind of round that out a little bit. Verse 8 of chapter 14. What is... What, for sure, what is Babylon here? And because there's like three definitions of Babylon uh, that could be true here, and they probably all three are true here. First of all, just plain and simple, what is Babylon? Yeah, of Iran. Yeah, it's it's a city in Iran. It's been there for a long time. How 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 long has that city been there? Ever since the flood, right? Babel, that's where the Tower of Babel would have been, right right in that area. So it's been there a long time. Now, I've been told Jericho's the oldest city in the world, and it's still there. Maybe it's the oldest, I don't know. But anyway, what's that? Right. Charlestonians think Charleston is, but you know, that's just how that goes. Um, Yeah, uh, sorry. We do have the oldest standing building built in America there. It's just a tiny little building on the street. It was a powder magazine. It looks all crumbly, but it's still there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just, it's the city. But what happened at Babylon? Uh, several things through history, but I've already hinted the first beginning. It was, what was man doing there? Building a tower. What was the purpose of that tower? Be, care- be careful, but you can say what we commonly say. That's fine. Do what? Yeah, what did you say? We'll say it now. <laughs> right, trying to reach heaven, reach God, and the same thing. That's typically what we say because the words, but um, what, what you have to understand is they were looking at astrology, and their, their gods were represented by those astrological signs. And we come to Daniel in Babylon, the wise men were the astrologers. Now, it's not astrology like you and I think of it. It's not your horoscope in the, in the newspaper. And I always make the joke that I heard in the 70s, if you're, if you're reading your horoscope, it is a horror. Um, but um, they, they studied the sky. Now, in case you think that's way freaky and we have to avoid that totally, um, I'll tell you two things. One thing is, the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So it shows his, his creative power, number one, but he did write his message in the sky 
I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you about that, all right? But I've listened to a lot of people who are. Their astrological signs were different than what we would have in our typical horoscope today. Um, and, it, and all of that devolved from, from the Babylonian people of Daniel's day. When Jesus came, the wise men came from Babylon, basically. These wise men from, um, from the east, and I said I was going to say something else about it, and now that is just gone. Um, so they had, they had different ideas about what those were, and guys that know all that and can look at it from a biblical point of view can piece some things together that make you go, wow, I didn't realize that. Oh, I, and the second thing I would say, um, I had a fellow come up and talk to me today, and he went to tell me something, but I'd read about it too, and I said it because we have that relationship, I could do that, and I went, he went, yeah, did you read that? I said, yeah, I did. Do y'all know what... Uh, what the Webb Telescope is and what it's done. Do y'all know what the Webb Telescope is? Let me start there. We hung a telescope outside the atmosphere, basically. It is not distorted at all. It can see further, brighter, see the most dimmest things in space, better than, uh, uh, what was the one before? Hubble. Hubble. The Hubble was awesome, and this makes Hubble look like a kid in his backyard with a telescope. It is unbelievable. They are seeing things they've never seen before, and it's done two things. They are seeing literally, literally trillions of galaxies they didn't know were out there. We took, uh, we took the Hubble and pointed it at a blank part of space one time and said, well, there's just a hole up there. There's no stars in that area. Let's just train it there, and they left it the exposure on for an extended time. Then when they looked at what they saw, they saw billions of galaxies in that hole that the light was too dim for Hubble to catch. Well, the web got outside of the atmosphere, and it's, 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 well, it's got a pure gold reflector, if that tells you anything about what that sucker cost, and to put it out there. And it is seeing unbelievable things, and the reason they don't tell you too much about what they're discovering is it's disproved the Big Bang. Space is not expanding. It is not racing away as they first thought. It is, is out there and is just out there. Um, and so they don't talk about that much, but you feel free, go look it up. It's not, I don't know that, that's what I read. And if I'm wrong, it's because they were wrong. But um, that's what's happening. And I love the stars, I love all that. I, you know, I hit that, I was what, nine or 10 years old, about 10 years old man walked on the moon. So I am that guy, man, just space and all that was just, you know, and then Star Trek, you know. <laughs> Watched it in black and white when I was a kid, right? Um, so anyway, back to Babylon. So we, we went off into space with Babylon, but that's where all that started, that study. And they, they knew some things that we don't know. There's a group of people out there, i just like to inform you, the people that are out there and whether they're good or not. There's some people out there, and they, they, it's called ancient alien um, ancient alien theory, I guess. And they believe that all this stuff on Earth that we can't figure out was done by ancient aliens way before. Um, the, the biblical view, if you read in Genesis, um, men were smarter, brighter, bigger, and we don't know much about the world before the flood. We know a little bit. And then we come to chapter 6 when all this is happening, and the Ben Elohim, the sons of God, came and and uh, produced offspring with, the, with women of men and created these giants. And they were smarter. The, these were angelic beings, and they probably gave them some technology. Um, it is now believed by a lot of reputable archaeologists the Sphinx in Egypt was there before the flood. That it, it wasn't the, the thing that you think it was, and sand would have never carved its face off like that, and if sand did that, why only its nose? Why is the rest of it pretty much intact? Um, so they believe there are a lot of monolithic structures, and that is a whole new realm coming out. But so I'm just saying, ancient alien guys, they're kind of crazy, okay? They, 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 they're trying to fit it into aliens came and did this. No spiritual beings helped do this on Earth. Um, in the jungles of South America, in North America now, they're starting to say it, and in, um, uh, in other places in the world, they're starting to find 
pyramids. They were all over the world. They were not tombs for kings. They were, had a spiritual reason, um, a spiritual thing. I listened to and watched a couple of things that are kind of weird, not real weird, like um, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. I don't know if y'all have heard about that. Um, it's, uh, it could be a very um, where, where heaven and earth intersect. Um, there's another show, uh, The Curse of Oak Island. I, I, I love that. Um, I, I remember reading that as a kid in the Reader's Digest, and the, these guys, he was 12 years old when he read it, and uh, he made millions of dollars, so he went looking. And, um, and they have just discovered things that prove that Europeans were on the North American continent around 1200. So uh, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. You must watch it because... Loves it. Yeah, it's, um, they're, they're digging up stuff and they're finding Roman coins and they're getting them tested. Oh, that came from 1232. I mean, it is unbelievable uh, what's going on. And what they believe is Knights Templar, which were Catholic, uh, the Order of the Cross or something, Knights of the Cross, um, Knights of the Temple would be. And that they became illegal in France in the 1300s, as King said. After they fought the crusade and said, oh, you guys are a bunch of ruffians, we're going to arrest you all, they fled, took the treasures they had, and they believe brought them over here and hid them. And so that's what they believe they're going to find eventually on this island. Probably, maybe not, we don't know. But I'm just saying, all this stuff's happening, all right? And it's, it's odd it's happening now all at the same time. You know, 50 years ago, we would hear this little thing, that little thing. Now it's like this flood of what was going on on earth, you know, scores of thousands of years ago. Well, the Bible kind of tells us. And if we just look at the biblical record, we, we can get there. And I don't want to get too deep into that tonight because I will write, it's like welcome to the rabbit hole is this thing people say. Um, but I want us to look at this Babylon. So this angel, the second angel, fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. Now, this is one of those time things. He is saying that it's true before it is true. It's true, and it is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Because what else is Babylon? In, in their day, what, what did, when, when John's audience read that, when he first wrote it, what did they think of when they, he said Babylon has fallen? Rome, yeah. They, he thought, they thought it was Rome. All right, so I'll skip all that and say, so what do we think now about Babylon? <laughs> yeah, could be. Yeah, it, it's, it, you put it all together. That's what it is. It's, it, is, it is, I don't want God's way. I want to build my own tower to study the skies and think I'm going to find these gods that are up there that, you know, it's a rejection of the true God, the great and mighty and most powerful and all-powerful God, and worship these lesser gods, and man, there's a whole bunch of stuff there in the Bible. But so, so that's what is falling, is the whole world system is collapsing. So that, that's what I believe verse 8 is saying. I wanted to say that a little bit more simply, even though I will run rabbit trails all day. Um, and so when he talks about um, uh, the, uh, the Babylon the Great, who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. What is the reference to that sexual immorality? Now, I know we can take that on the surface, and it's really bad stuff, and I don't, I'm not asking you to describe that. What does that really mean? Turn away from God, right. Adultery against God. If, if Babylon is the world system, that means that you're worshiping the system that is, in, is contrary to the will of God or the ways of God. We, we use that term, the world, very loosely. Um, I grew up hearing preachers, you know, uh, preaching about don't be worldly and all that stuff. I grew up under that a little bit. Um, and, and there's a point to that, and they're right. But it's not bad to be in the world. It's bad to be a part of the world system. You know, this is only bad because Satan made it bad, and it's our job to be here to win it back. According to Psalm 2, God said, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Jesus, sit here at my right hand until I make all the nations of the world your footstool. So the job of the church is to witness to the world 
to bring it under the dominion of Christ, which is what I was hinting at this morning in the sermon, if I didn't say it plainly enough. And so now we have a third angel coming out with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. A lot of words there, just I'm, I'm trying to simplify some of this as, as much as possible. Um, but I do want to point something out. I think this is the right place to do it. Um, we've already seen the beast, we've seen the mark, we've seen the number and all of this. And this is the declaration of judgment on that beast, that false prophet and the beast, and the worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name um, are going to be cast into hell. And, uh, and the holy angels, why does it say holy angels? Because they're unholy angels, right? Because they are unholy angels, and they can transform themselves into a spirit of light. Um, some of the... Um, there was a popular TV show a couple decades ago now, I guess. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the time stamp on it, but um, it's called The Ghost Whisperer. Um, people are chasing ghosts today, and supposedly this girl, and she could see and talk to uh, departed people that their spirits hadn't left yet, and they hadn't left because there was unfinished business, they were upset, blah, 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 and she helped them go to the light. And almost every spirit in that show wound up going to the light. Now, then, later they had some bad spirits, but they never kind of defined that, and they never do, because they got to, you know, well, they're bad spirits and good spirits. But if you'll notice, a lot of people that, that do that kind of stuff a lot, by the way, that's called necromancy, um, the necromancer, that, that term, it's in literature sometimes, but it's in the Old Testament. Uh, God said, you play with that, and you go, in to, go to the bad place with them. You, this is... They're not to do this. Who did it that was a person in the Bible that should have known a lot better? In fact, he made it illegal in his kingdom. Saul, right. So that's a big question people always ask. Was it really Samuel that came up out of the ground? What do y'all think? Anybody think it wasn't? Now because I said yes so fervently and... With assuredness, nobody, I don't, I don't disagree, I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was, it was Samuel. Because it, it freaked her out. She didn't realize. Now, whether she was pretending before, if anybody actually, like, there were, again, I always refer it back to media, but there was a TV show, Long Island uh, Medium, a lady that, you know, the spirits were always telling her stuff. She would go, you could pay her, and she'd come to your house, and, Tell you, but she would tell them stuff that had actually happened. But they don't know the future, they only know the past. And so they can fool you, they tell you some stuff nobody should know because the demon's telling her, and then, then you believe what she's going to say after that. That's how it works. And the world is way into this. And the Bible condemns it in the Old Testament. It says, put to death people that do that. Now, that's how serious the Old Testament is about it. We live in America, we can't, you're a witch, okay, let's kill you. Uh, we can't do that. But every time I ride by a, uh, you know, one of the things with a palm out there, I just say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And in my fervent imagination, I imagine the person in there goes, what was that? <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> um, because they, they, they under, understand this, they can't do anything to you that God won't allow them to do. If, if, they, if they get something on you, it's because God's allowed it. Um, and we, we do have not to fear them at all. Um, but... There, it's all over. It's all in our society. Our kids believe this stuff. This is all a part of being Babylon. And here God calls down judgment. But, but did you notice uh, this? Um, Babylon the Great, she made the nations drunk in the wine of her passion. And another angel followed, and he will drink the wine of God's wrath. Did you catch that? The wine that they thought was a wine of passion was actually a wine of judgment. And so when they drank those dregs, they thought, oh, this is great. And this is this not the nature of sin? 
You know, the Bible doesn't say sin is horrible or, or it's not fun or it doesn't feel good. It says it's a lot of fun and it feels real good. But it is like a snake. It may be a beautiful creature, but at the end it bites you and you die. Y'all know the story of the frog and the scorpion, right? Everybody knows that one? Okay, so a scorpion walks up to a frog on the edge of the pond and says, Hey, can you give me a ride across the pond? I can't swim. And the frog said, You're a scorpion. You'll sting me and I'll die. He says, If I sting you and you die, we'll both die because I'll be killing myself. I'll drown. The frog said, Makes sense. Hop on. So the scorpion goes back and halfway across the pond, the scorpion stung him. And just before he went underwater, the frog said, Why did you sting me? He said, I'm a scorpion. What did you expect? That's the nature of sin. Oh, it'll be okay. It looks good. It'll feel good. It'll be all right. And the Bible says, but at the end, it bites like an adder. It, it'll get you. Um, and, and, then, and then you die. Sin has pleasure for a season, but then, that's the verse. Sin gives pleasure for a season, but then it destroys. It kills and destroys. So um, we have that kind of here. They were drinking the wine of our passion. This is great. And it's bringing judgment. I think that's a pretty cool analogy God does there. And then there's verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Um, and so then in verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, their deeds fall. Were the people that died before this not blessed? It says, blessed are those who die from now on. Why does he say that? Right, and, that, and that's it. The answer is that this is so intense, it's worse than anything ever. And it says, man, you're, you're just blessed to get to die. That dying is the best thing that could happen to you. Because um, you cease from your labor. Everything's over at that point. Um, so it's not that people before them weren't blessed. We always think in those terms sometimes. Um, Jesus even told a whole parable about that, that guy needed laborers. He went out at 9 o'clock, hired a bunch of guys for a, a, a penny a day is what they paid then. Well, it wasn't enough when at noon he agreed with them to give them a penny, and then he went at 3 o'clock and gave them a penny. Then he went at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time, and he said, I'll give you a penny if you work for an hour. And then at the end of the day, the guys that got hired in the morning went, he, he paid the last ones first, said, they got a penny. And that's all he told us. He, we, but we were here all day, and they were only here an hour. We we're going to get eight pennies. And he gave them a penny, and they said, what are you doing? They only worked an hour, and they got a penny. What about us? He said, didn't I agree to give you a penny for all day? What are you complaining about? So those who are saved in a short time or a long time all get to go to heaven, <laughs> okay? And so it's not that the ones before them weren't blessed, but these guys. Now think about it. Have you ever read things like um, God's Smuggler? Um, what was the Richard Warmbrand book? What was the name of that one? Tortured for Christ. Um, I, I, re I read that as a teenager. I didn't even understand it all. They stood him in front of a blank white wall like so a foot away, and he had to stare at it, and he just basically went what we'd call snow blind. His legs were so swollen because they wouldn't let him sit down. And just, it's, it's unbelievable torture, and these were Russian communists. And uh, it's why I hate communism to this day, but um, all that pales in, in significance to what these people are going through. I mean, think about that. So I don't know if you re read much books about people that are tortured for their faith, but you should. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, the modern Fox's Book of Martyrs, you ought to read those. Um, so, we come to the harvest of the earth. And we got some problems in here. we got to figure this out. What is, what, what do y'all? If y'all have read it, what do you think the problem I'm going to come to is? Because there is a big problem in here. Well, let, let's start with defining verse 14. I looked, behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, like a Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest 
of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Do you have any problems with that? I do. I hope you do. Who's sitting on the cloud? Just guess. I mean, it's fine. Nobody's going to, I'm not going to fuss anybody. Like, oh, no, you're dumb. Who's it sound like? Sounds like Jesus. But what is the problem with it being Jesus? If you just read those words at face value. Yeah, thank you. He's taking orders from an angel. Right? And when, remember the story of the wheat and tares? I know you don't remember it in detail because I didn't either. But what did, when they, when in the parable, the, the people that kept the garden came and said, an enemy's come and, and sowed tares among the wheat. Do you want us to pull them up? And the, and the master of the land said, no, leave it till the end because that'll reveal which is which and we'll get rid of it then. Because a tear looks like a wheat when it's small. When it grows up, the wheat has a head and the tear does not. So he said, just leave it. We'll know what the wheat is and then we can pull out the bad plants. Then when the angels come and harvest the earth. But now it's Jesus sitting on a cloud with a crown carrying a sickle, and the angel tells him to reap, and he reaps. It sounds like a problem. It's just not a problem, because they're all working together. Jesus and these angels were together, okay? It's said it one way to understand it for those guys, saying it another way now. Jesus is the harvester. Angels aren't the harvesters. They're working for Jesus. But Jesus is seen here as the boss because he's got the tool in his hand. It's his power. And God doesn't need an angel to bring a message from another part of the Trinity to him. But this is a way of letting us know that the order is given from the Father and the Son gets it done. You understand that? Because what did the Son do? He submitted himself to the will of the Father, right? And he still does. They said, Lord, when are you coming back? When, when is the kingdom going to be established, is what they said in Acts 1. He said, that's not for you to know, and I don't know. Only the Father knows that. He has reserved that information for himself. I don't know. Now, that is some amazing words coming out of the mouth of the Son of God. I don't know. He's God. He knows everything. Well, Jesus didn't know when he's coming back. Now, does he know now? I would think probably. I'm sure he does. But before he ascended fully in bodily form to heaven, that was withheld from him. I don't think because God thought he was going to slip up or anything. It's just a fact. That's how it worked. So in this case, he said, the angels going to reap. Are the angels reaping? Yeah, they're joining in. But Jesus gets the command, the okay from God, go, and he does it. It, it happens. He, okay, let's work. And so uh, verse 17, so another angel comes out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. And the angel who had authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its uh, grapes are ripe. So the angel swung the sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. So we see this is an image of the final harvest of the lost. Okay, this is the end of time. And these chapters are filling in these little gaps, and then he's going to come back and, and kind of say it out in the timeline how it works. Don't forget that. This is a break in the timeline to say, okay, we got a lot of little things to cover, and then we'll see how it plays out. So in these last, we got two more angels. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this tonight, but look at verse uh, 18 again. Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. We, okay, I was, I was about to make a superlative statement, and I can't do that. I have noticed that in my experience for myself, and I notice most people around me, because we, we've, I've been taught this way, we, we kind of think of 
God is God. Angels are kind of like, they don't know what to do, but they sing a lot. And then when God sends them on a special mission, they come do something, you know. Um, it's like they're just bored until God says, hey, would you go down there? Please, thank you. Finally, I got something to do. Goes. No. Um, this angel has authority over fire. So there are angelic beings. Go back and um, let, me, let me make sure I get the right verse. Because if I tell you wrong, you'll think I'm really dumb. That's, that's not really a fear. I know I'm really dumb. Um, uh, yeah, it's Psalm 82.1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. That word gods is ben Elohim, the sons of God. And, and so he calls angels sons of God. And he says they're a council. And he talks to them. There's a story in the Old Testament. Um, uh, all the prophets were saying, oh yeah, uh, I just read this a couple weeks ago in my daily reading. Um, this, uh, one of the kings of Israel had to go against Assyria. And so he called all the prophets. And he got the king of Judah to come with him. And the king of Judah was godly. And, and there was never a good king of Israel. And uh, uh, after Solomon... And all the prophets were saying, yes, go up. You're going to have a mighty victory. Yeah, go get them. You know, it's going to be great. And the king of Judah said, do you have any prophet in this place that will tell you the truth? And he said, there's one guy, but I hate him. He never says anything good about me. And his name was Micaiah or Micah. Um, we're not sure exactly how to say that. And he shows up and he says, should we go? I said, oh, yeah, go up. God's going to give you the victory. He said, how many times I got to tell you, tell me the truth? He said, all right, you're going to die. You ain't coming back. You're going to lose it all. He said, why would you do that? He said, I saw, and the prophet's over there going, who do you think you are? He said, I saw a vision. And God in heaven said, how can we fool whatever that king's name was? I can't remember his name. How can we do that? And he said, one, one angel said one thing, one said another. And then one stepped forward and said, I'll go be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, you go. And so then one of them hit the other prophet, like, who do you think you are? You say, and only God speaks to you. I don't know. I'm telling you, I don't know what to do with this. You've got an angel that's in charge of fire. He has authority over fire, at least. Let me put it that way. So these angels that God has that are his angels, the Bible tells in Hebrews they're ministering spirits. They help us. They have jobs. They, they have authority. God sends them to do things. They're part of his creation of the universe. The stuff that the Webb telescope is just now seeing that shows the glory of God and the vastness of his power. I mean, the nearest star to us would take us four years going at the speed of light just to get there. We would have to be able to move a physical object 186,000 miles per second to get there. That's the closest one to us. And now we are seeing, I don't know the right word, I don't know if it's thousands, millions, billions, trillions of miles away, vast galaxies. They've seen two that are colliding, going into each other. It's just, God just made it. One day, he went, stars, B, boom, and there it was. That power is our God. So all the lesser beings that he's made that do his work, don't get too tied up because we're, he's trying to say it in a way we can get it. He's, he's sent the angels to judge. Did anybody look up how deep and how wide this blood is? I, I'm cheating. I got it in this book. but Well, look at there. Yeah. Yes. That's pretty. And, and the height is about four feet. So it's about this high. Now, is that figurative or literal? I take it literally, but the valley that's supposed to be happening at, if you ever go to Israel, when Stephen and Savannah get back and go visit them at their house, you can stand on their roof and look down that valley. It's like, really? That's where you want to live? <laughs> hey, it's best, best seat in the house, man. I get to see it all happen. Um, we joke that way because who knows? Um, so anyway, all right. So that kind of wraps up 14. Um, that is pretty amazing measurements of, of um, wrath. And, that, and remember, this is blood coming out of, of men and animals if they're riding horses. And it's going to flow four foot deep and 200 
And how, how wide is it? 184 miles long, and how? Okay, it doesn't say. Okay. It's a lot. <laughs> it's about the size of Israel if you spread it out in square miles. Wow. That's, a, that's pretty amazing. All right, well, let's, let's jump uh, 15. Um, it, it won't be uh, too hard. How many angels are going to appear in 15? With seven what? Plagues. Now, yeah, okay, we'll do this. So, I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels, seven plagues, which are the last... For with them, the wrath of God is finished. So the purpose of the plagues is what? We, y'all answered it last week. What's that? Yes, the final judgment. And, and this is God's wrath being poured out. We've already seen what the beast has done. This is God going, enough. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of this now. This is the answer to the prayer of the saints under the altar at the beginning of Revelation. How long, O Lord? Just rest a minute. I'll get there. And this is that. Now, um, all that weird stuff I said at the beginning, I always call it weird stuff because I just, I don't want you to think I'm too weird. But you do understand, and I think I said this last week, so I'm just keep repeating myself. All the judgments in Egypt were against a god of Egypt. Think about Ra, the sun god. That's one you've heard. you even in fantasy movies and all, you know, sometimes Ra comes back in some of these and all that. Um, well, the sun was darkened and they couldn't do anything about it. Um, and, and these different insects and animals were represented their gods. Um, by the way, okay, this is a sidelight just to my point about all that. Do y'all remember who took, who captured the ark when it was still in Israel and they went to fight who was king and who captured the ark? No, before him. I, well, I don't think they even had a king at that point. Because it's at the beginning of Samuel. Eli is the, is the high priest. And they go to war. And, the ark, and they carried the ark. And this is a whole other side rabbit hole we can go down. Why, did they, why would they carry the ark into battle with him? Yeah, why did they think it was their super weapon, though? You're right. Because God resided there. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a question, and all of a sudden you go, oh, why did Rachel steal her dad's gods when they were taken off? She removed his protection. Her dad couldn't have power over her because she had his gods. Territorial spirits, they re- go to Africa today, animism, Where's your God? Oh, it's this stick we stuck here in the ground. That's, that's where that God resides, in that stick, or in that altar, or in that rock, or in that place. This has been going on since the beginning of time, since the Tower of Babel, till today. It's the same things. In this chapter, you're going to see God judge the gods of this world. That's, that's basically what's happening again. Um, but with them, the wrath of God is finished. What does that mean? Is there no more wrath of God to be poured out? Well, sure there is, because he's going to throw the beast and the Satan into hell and all that stuff. But it just means the judgment of this physical earth is going to come to an end. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the sermon of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. whole lot of stuff in there. Let's just unpack it real quick, as quickly as I can. Who are the people holding the harps and singing the songs? And this guy gave me a lot of symbology. I, I, I should have written it out so I wouldn't do this. So I'll, I'll leave that for now. But what, what, who are these people holding the harps? It tells you right there in verse 3. Yeah, verse 2. These are the ones who conquered the beast. How did they conquer the beast? By dying for their faith. 
These are the martyrs in the beginning of Revelation and the martyrs of Revelation, and especially the ones in the last chapter. They're just, last two chapters, just getting slaughtered. And now they got harps and they're singing a victory song. Why the song of Moses? Because when, remember, when, what, what happened when we get a song of Moses in the Old Testament? What had just happened? Miriam led the ladies in singing it. Yeah, the, uh, the armies, the entire army of the mightiest nation in the world drowned in the ocean by the hand of God. And that's where, and there's a modern song, the Lord is a warrior. That's the song of Moses. God is a warrior. He will defeat his enemies. But it's also the song of the lamb. What did the lamb do? He put on flesh and dwelt among us. And what did he do? He lived a perfect life, died for us, and won for us salvation. So I'm, I'm going to give you another little rabbit hole y'all can chase here. Um, look in verse uh, 4. You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. And in verse 3, O king of the nations. Why, why do you think that's important? Let me, just, let me ask that a different way. What do you think when you read that? What, what comes to your mind? Yes. That's pretty much it, right? All the, all the world's... All the nations of the world, right? All right, I'm going to read you a t t another text out of the Old Testament. Moses said this. Sorry, went to the wrong book. Huh? Ah, I'm going to tell you that later. <laughs> I will tell you. But this is Moses. It's toward the end of his life. It's in his last discourse. That's a good big hint for you. All right. And here's what the Bible says. The word of Moses. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain and my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of Yahweh, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are justice. And interesting, he calls him the rock. Who's the rock? Christ, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is Deuteronomy 32. Just and upright is he. Verse, uh, I'm now in verse 5. They have dealt corruptly with him and they are no longer his children. Who are they? Did he, did he give a precedent, an antecedent to the word they in chapter 32? This is the Song of Moses, by the way. It's labeled in my Bible as the Song of Moses. No. So, who, who is the they? Well, he's going to tell you after, not before. They have dealt corruptly with him and are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When Mo, the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the Ben Elohim, of the sons of God. Genesis 6, the sons of God intermingled with the women of men and produced giants. God takes a seat among the Ben Elohim in Acts, I mean, uh, Psalm 82.1. And Moses said, God divided the world and gave authority 
to the sons of God over certain nations, but they dealt corruptly with God. They rebelled against the Creator. Now that's a bad thing. And so this has been a cosmic war. We don't have a time stamp for when that happened. Moses said, ask the old guys. Now Moses is 120 when he says this. So who is the old guys that they're going to ask? But he's saying, you know about it. This word has come down to us from our elders. That God divided the world up. And what did God keep for him? Let me pause. This is related, but not the total thing. What was Eden? Was Eden the whole world? Or was it just one place? It had to be one place because it got thrown out of it, right? It was not Adam and Eve's garden. It was the garden of God. He put them in his garden. And when they rebelled in his garden, he threw them out of his garden. Why did they rebel? Who led them into rebellion? Yeah, the serpent that Isaiah talks about. I will exalt myself above the most high. God doesn't want you to know as much as him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree. He told them the same thing he believed. They get thrown out. And he leads this angelic rebellion that God had given these, but God reserved, well, let me finish reading this before I say it. He, uh, but the Lord's, uh, look at verse 9, but the Lord's portion is his people and Jacob his allotted heritage. So Yahweh kept for himself the Jewish people and Israel. That's his land. And in Revelation... They're singing the song of Moses and saying, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. He's going to win back all the nations that, that these rebellious beings took away his authority. So what did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Why, why could Satan tempt Jesus with land in the temptations? Here's all the kingdoms of the world. I will give them to you if you just worship me. It's a shortcut. He offered you. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give you a shortcut. All you got to do is just proclaim me as the Most High, and I'll give you all the nations of the world. You won't have to fight for them. One guy said, not sure Satan wasn't just feeling him out like, hmm, can they be tempted? Will he, well, I, I think it's not quite that simple, but all of a sudden you're going, wait, what, wait, huh? This isn't just, oh, the world went bad and God's got to come back. No, this is a cosmic war been going on since the beginning. It's right here, right here in Revelation. And after this I looked in verse 5, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. What is the tent of witness? It was in the wilderness with the Jews. The, the copy was in the wilderness with the Jews. The original was in heaven. What happened in the tent of witness? Who lived in it? What man lived in it? A man lived in that tent. Mm -mm. Nope. Joshua. Joshua heard, every con Joshua heard every conversation Moses had with God in the tent of witness. God would come up out of off the ark. He'd go over and he'd come into the tent, they call it the tent of meeting or the tent of witness. And Moses would go in and talk to God and it says, and the young man Joshua lived there. Wait a minute. What does the name Joshua mean? Oh yeah, same name. Woo, I like it. <laughs> gives, me, gives me holy goosebumps. I don't like it when people say that, but I did get them. Um, and I looked... And this, uh, the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues. Whose plagues are these? God's plagues. And he's handing them to some angels, saying, good, 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 do this, boys. 
clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. We have never, we've never seen angels described quite this way. These guys have been waiting since the beginning to get to do this, okay? And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. What happened when God's glory came down in the tent of meeting in the Old Testament? It was like the high priest going in on the Day of Atonement. You, nobody else could get in there. The glory of God was so great. And then when they built the temple and Solomon dedicated it, do you, do you remember that? It's, the word is in Hebrew Shekinah. And when people say the Shekinah glory, that's like saying the room, room. It, you, you're just being redundant. Shekinah means the glory of God. The glory of God was so great in the temple that day that er, nobody could get in. They had to back out. It was like, whoa, it's just so amazing. And right here in Revelation, in, the, in that place in heaven, no one could enter the sanctuary because of the glory of God as he sends out these seven angels. And we're going to read all about them starting in, verse, in chapter 16. Okay, So I tell you there was a lot in these few verses. And I can, I, that's probably the first time most of you have even heard anything close to that. I've not been exposed to that very long myself, but it sure made Revelation make a lot more sense to me. So I'm just throwing it out there for your perusal and study and look at it. Um, it's, it's some, ever since the um, Dark Ages, Renaissance, the Renaissance, the Age of Reason came, and the church went from a very supernatural understanding, and people still make fun of that in movies and stuff. Oh, they're really, if you see any movie, somebody goes back in time to, to before that, or, you know, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, she's a witch, you know, what floats, a duck, what else floats, a rock, a rock, a very small rock, yes, uh, it's just silliness, right, and they're making fun of people who used to be superstitious, now we have reason, and the church has suffered because of that, because we, we are supernatural creatures trapped in a, in a physical body, and we are citizens of a supernatural realm as well as a physical realm. And Paul said, though this outer man is decaying, the inner man is being strengthened day by day. Right, Roy? Roy, by there, he likes to quote that one to me a lot. We, we work out at the Y, and he'll look at me and go, but this outer body's just, just rotting away, but our inner man's being strengthened day by day. I was like, yes, sir, you're right. You know what exercise does for you? Makes you look good in a coffin. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> All right, so, so, um, so I, don't want to, I don't want you to go like, th these things are rabbit trails. You can go in and you'll go way into this. There, there's a lot of theories out there and people, and, and it can become a woo thing, but we need a little more woo in the church, all right? We have lost the idea that, that God is, is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, for a long time, they didn't have much of the truth because certain um, religious groups kept the Bible away from them. But now we got the Bible so we can get the truth, but then we kind of started losing the spirit. You got to have both. And it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. You know, people used to tell kids getting married, well, marriage is 50-50. Well, if it is going to fail because you're only giving 50%, you need to give 100%. And the other person needs to give 100%. And that's how we worship God. Spirit, 100%. David danced naked before the Lord. So I said, well, aren't the, isn't the king just a dignified so-and-so? He said, before those maidens, I'll be dignified. But for you, I will be more foolish than this, is what he said to her. Spirit, but truth. You've got to have the truth. You can't just, because our emotions and our, uh, we can be fooled. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. If, if, if you buy into um, and to some of the false stuff, you can hear lying spirits. Um, I told y'all last week, one of the big things now, um, they are now using psychedelic drugs that people, uh, they're, they're saying Tim Leary was right all along um, for a treatment for PTSD um, of our soldiers, and it takes them into a spiritual realm, and they see powerful beings, and they think they've seen God, and they haven't. They've seen demonic things, because God does not work that way. God does reveal himself to people today 
I don't know if you know this or not, but a lot of Muslims get saved because God visits them in their dreams. And it, he'll just appear and he'll say, I'm Jesus, I love you, you need to go talk to that Christian. And then they'll go talk to him to show him the Bible and they love get saved. It's never, as far, I've never heard a story of where that's happened. It was something really weird. In fact, uh, the first mission trip I ever went to, on to Africa um, with my daughter and one of the pastors that we worked with, he used to be a Muslim. In fact, he owned the, the uh, whatever you call the thing they worship in, mosque. He owned the mosque, and God visited him in a dream. He went and talked to the Christian that he was told to talk to. They led him to the Lord. He had this big old smile. His name was Moses, of all things. And, uh, and he turned his mosque into a church, which ticked off all the other Muslims. He said, I don't care. I own it. <laughs> so, uh, and he became a pastor. And uh, so God does supernatural spiritual things. And, and I, I'm not a cessationist. I don't think God quit working. Um, I don't think God is done. But God doesn't do what is not necessary. Um, I always use Lazarus coming out of the grave about that. Um, Jesus didn't roll away the stone, and he didn't unwrap Lazarus. Because... Any of us could have done that, but only he could raise the dead. So he did that part. So as we work for God, he says, he told, he told the disciples, do you know the only story repeated in all four Gospels besides the crucifixion is the feeding of the 5,000? You ought to study that story in all the Gospels. Jesus said, go feed them. They said, with what? He said, what do you got? Oh, we got this kid's lunch. This is an amalgamation of all of it. He said, well, Go get them some food. And they said, well, where are we going to buy food? There's not a store. There's not a 7-Eleven around here. And we don't have enough money if there was one. And he said, well, what do you have? Got this lunch. Oh, got five, what it, five fish and two loaves or five loaves and two fish. I guess five loaves and two fish. I always have to think about, well, you could cut the fish up and put it on five sandwiches. And he says, well, bring that to me. And what does the Bible say? He took it. It was offered to him. And what did he do with it? He blessed it. Then what did he do with it? He broke it. When you come to God and say, bless me, do you want me to break you? And if you're not willing to be broken, you're not going to get blessed. Yes, I want to be blessed. Okay, I'm going to break you. It's going to hurt. But you'll be able to feed thousands. And then they distributed it. And then they took up 12 baskets full. Walking with God and doing his work is doing what you cannot do with what God puts in your hand and the power of God taking it, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it back to you. Um, I got to hang out with Kerry Livgren, who wrote Dust in the Wind. He was a songwriter for Kansas, uh, became a Christian. And when I got to meet him, somebody said, hey, would you play this, my guitar? He went, nope. He said, God told me to put it down. I haven't touched one in six months. He said, until God tells me to pick it up, I won't pick it back up. I had, to, I had to lay that down. This is a purifying time for me. And he picked it back up later, but he laid it down. God told him to lay it down. Every, every man of God in the Bible, the rod of Moses, throw it down, became a snake. He grabbed it, turned back into a staff, turned the page, and Moses took his wife, his kids, and the rod of God. When you give yourself to God, he blesses you, breaks you, puts you back together, and now you don't belong to yourself. We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your mortal bodies. Right? I, I, I like doing that. So let me stop myself because I'll do that all night. Let me stop. Sorry. I get excited. And uh, I thought I was going to come in here and I wouldn't be too excited. But I can't start talking about Lord and his word and not get excited. Let's pray. God, you are an awesome God. Uh, and obviously, you, you put a lot of hints in the Bible. We, we kind of miss it. And so we, we're glad to see some things here that... that I never even heard about till till a year ago, and uh, it, it just helps make so much more sense out of all the things that we have known and have read, that that indeed uh, we are soldiers in an army, um, and our weapons of our warfare are not carnal; they're spiritual for the tearing down of strongholds, these these demonic strongholds that we we talk about, like the pyramids and and these gods that men make. And uh, oh, Lord, I didn't even finish that story. Um, but just when the ark was recaptured and they, uh, the, or when the Philistines got that ark and they took it and put it in the, in the temple of their god Dagon, which was another 
word for Baal or Baal. And uh, the next day, Dagon's on his face before you. And then, so they propped him back up. And the next day, he'd lost his head and his hands. And uh, that God, they thought, was a, a fish-type creature. And there he looked like a fish laying there before, broken before your throne. So, Lord, may we remember that, that these things are real. You're a real God, and you're at work today. You, you, you came to us so that we could behold the power and the might of God. And then you said, I'm going to give you my spirit. And the power of God resides in these clay vessels. That we don't have to fear our enemy. We can walk into the, into the hottest battle. And if we lose our life, we haven't lost anything. We've gained everything. But if we don't lose our life, we, can, we, uh, we may bring out someone who needs your help. And I just pray, God, that we would, we would run to the battle. Uh, because people are falling, people are dying, and we are called as soldiers of the king to run into that battle. So give us grace to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.